Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of Chilling with the Villain. Can you believe that it's been 20 episodes already? Feels like we just started the other day. But if, if this is the first time that you're listening to the podcast, this is the Classic Wrestling Review podcast where we sit down chill out and watch some classic wrestling then review it for you the i used to watch wrestling types i am of course the villain marty skell and joining me today as always is the producer of the show the king of the tables samuel scott and you know what i have news for everyone today i'm handing the keys of the show to my producer sam sam they're all yours. Thank you very much for this. I won't <laughs> abuse it. Okay, I'm abusing it a little bit, but we'll cut to that later. Oh man, how have you been? Well, I'm doing I'm doing very well, thank you. And I think it is worth noting that today we are reviewing Judgment Day 2004 mm -hmm. for more newer fans of wrestling. No, we're not talking about the stable. We're not talking about Dominic Mysterio and mommy but we will be talking about ray mysterio yeah. and eddie guerrero on this judgment day 2004 review and i think it's going to be a, a real fun one to go back and watch and review for all you fans it was uh yeah well i won't get into it now because we're going to review the whole thing but sam yeah. you chose this show why yes i did you know how heat wave everyone said hey this is an old one but it was a good one and we went back and we watched it and we felt like actually it wasn't that good. Think of the opposite of that. I have in my head Judgment Day 2004 as being a really good pay-per-view, bearing in mind that I last watched it when, I, when it came out. Well, in 2005, I got the DVD. And I was just talking about it with some friends recently and they were all like, um... And everybody seems to remember this as a bit of a dud. So I mm. thought, isn't this the kind of the point of the podcast? It is. You know, let's go back and revisit this and see if it holds up or if we were incorrect, or maybe if we can see things that we appreciate now that we didn't back then, vice versa. I just thought that's a very interesting, very polarizing pay-per-view then, obviously. Let's let's give it a go. Yeah, and you know, this is nearly 20 years ago now. So right. you do you do see things differently after that amount of time and as you grow older and as you gain new knowledge and everything else. So it is really fun to go back and watch these shows. And obviously the way I watched wrestling as a kid and growing up, obviously completely different to how I watch wrestling now, having been in the business myself for 20 years and become completely jaded and bitter and everything else. So. <laughs> I'm actually curious. What is, do you actually, do you recall your kind of childhood memories of this pay-per-view? This one I do actually, yes. Yeah. yeah. Was it yeah. were you was it were they fond memories or were you kind of not so sure? I think I might need to save that for the actual review. Oh really? I don't think I was a happy bunny that Bradshaw was getting a mm. world world title match, but we'll get into we'll it. We'll get in to the that. The Berg five one one asks this is a this is a good question. What would you want to see from 80s, 90s wrestling return to today's product? Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how much time do we have? Um, I mean, the for sure, the, the characters and the emphasis more on, the emphasis more on characters and storytelling and character development, less focus on 
the in-ring stuff. Like now wrestling in 2023, nearly 2024, which is pretty unbelievable. There's so much emphasis on the in-ring product. And I honestly don't feel like that's the magic part of wrestling. Obviously that's great. And it's really cool to watch a great match, but what got me hooked into wrestling was that eighties and nineties era. And it wasn't when the guys were trying to do every move under the sun that they knew or everything else. It was because of the, the larger than life characters and the people I could relate to and, and everything else. And, and I wanted to know where the story went. So I felt like in the eighties and nineties, they were a lot better at that. And I guess that kind of goes into my next point. The eighties and nineties just seem to have so much more mystique than current wrestling. Oh, yeah. And obviously a big part of that is just the natural evolution with, you know, even at the first point it was the biographies came out and then documentaries came out and then social media became a thing and so, mm-hmm. like this. So maybe I'm being a hypocrite now because, you know, I'm revealing behind scenes stuff of wrestling, but in this day and age behind scenes is not even behind scenes. It's just scenes. <laughs> it is seen right. in my, like everyone knows everything it seems. And like that to me is an actual shame. And I'm um, obviously the case here is kind of like, if you can't beat them, join them. Like I kind of, you know, the, the rabbit's out of the hat now. Do you know what I mean? So that is the case, but I kind of wish it wasn't. I kind of wish it was, we at least I at least wish we had that mystique back. Like I can't imagine being a kid and going on Papa Shango's Twitter and he's talking about his dinner from Chile. Dinner. It's completely yeah. that would completely kill, you know, the mystique. So but yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I could go from the eighties and nineties, but I'll keep it quick. Um, what about yourself, Sam? The physiques I think have changed. I want to see Every like 99, nine, nine out of 10 of people being beefcakes. And this one is kind of similar to yours, but there is a distinction. Um, a greater emphasis on cartoonier gimmicks, mm-hmm. I think. Like very overt gimmicks, like clown, dumpster guy, this kind of stuff. <laughs> like more, yeah, I just, I'm, I do miss that. I really do. What about like, um, I don't know if you've seen him, like a Dan Holzen or an orange Cassidy would that count as them or not? I think, I think, I think so. I'm going to get, yeah, I think so. He's clearly defined. I mean, there are obviously, I don't want to seem like I'm just completely crapping on today's wrestling. There are some improvements. And when you said about the physiques, I can kind of see both sides because I do believe that wrestlers should certainly look impressive and be larger than life. And a big part of that is being big and, in in shape of course and i for sure wrestlers should all be in shape at the same time a lot of the wrestlers back in the 80s especially the 80s you know to keep those physiques they had to do a lot of stuff that was not good for them and their health and it's a big part of the reason why a lot of my heroes aren't here today sadly so that sort of change in wrestling i like in this day and age i'm i'm sure there's still Plenty of guys, you know, using PEDs like they were back then, but it's not to the extent, at least, as it was back then. I don't think so, anyway. We certainly don't have the physiques to suggest that it's like it was in the 80s. Yeah, I see both sides. For me, though, I feel like wrestling should be not aspirational TV, 
but it should be something that you put on and i want to see these larger than life gods among men and women where i can be like oh i wish i could reach that when i turn it on and i look at and half of the roster i i could probably beat up is not tv that i want to watch and but more than that that also makes like spike dudley types pointless irrelevant right, and i yeah. like i like both archetypes I sure it needs it to work and you know i'm a smaller man certainly in height and everything else but i definitely like to consider myself in good shape um mm. but at the same time because i'm smaller i also would like to consider myself the exception and not the rule but that's why i try to carry myself in such a way but that is larger than life and mm -hmm. i i think i do a good job of that because you know in day-to-day -day life if I'm traveling or anything else, I'll often get people. Sometimes I'll even get like, you're a wrestler, but sometimes I'll get like, what are you? Like, you look like a, you're in a rock band or what do you do? So I have some kind of aura about me. And that's obviously why the villain character is so over the top because, you know, I'm like, I still want to be, I'm not the biggest guy, but let's have the biggest personality. Let's make mm -hmm. the presentation larger than life. And sometimes I'll watch wrestling this day and age, I'm not going to name any names. And there'll be guys smaller than me and they're wearing tracksuit bottoms and a hoodie to the ring, you know? And I'm like, what are you, this is like, people are paying to see you. If they see mm. you wearing a hoodie that they can buy from Walmart for $20, like it makes you so familiar. Do you know what I mean? And I get yeah. people will say, well, that, that could be a gimmick as well. And they'll say, you know, the every man or, I don't know, a lot of times they'll use like Mick Foley as an example, but I think in that case, people forget, forget sort of how big and larger than mm -hmm. life Mick Foley is. Like, trust me, I've met him. He towers over me. He's massive. You know? um, and obviously there's always exceptions to the rule. Yes. Um, but yeah. And that, again, that all just comes back to my point, basically like the mystique. That's what we like in wrestling. Yeah. And it's not just about height or even like, muscles like charisma is an attribute so if you if you're not tall like freakishly tall freakishly muscly be wildly charismatic or wildly interesting like something yeah something larger than life absolutely yeah absolutely who asked that question that was berg 511 well thank you for uh berg 511 uh berg asked that question on the instagram so mm -hmm. if you're not following us on instagram already please make sure you do at the villain pod and also if you enjoy this podcast then please give us a five star review that would really really help and it helps with our algorithm and everything else and if you do and we like the review we'll read it out on the show and you'll get a shout out so it's a win-win yeah aj did that just that on apple podcasts five star review thank you aj goes on to say this podcast is so fun I agree. Whether you're a wrestling fan or a wrestler, it's a fun listen. The viewers should be called Minions because it's a play on villain and you guys should totally review Ready to Rumble. I would love to review Ready to Rumble. I'm with you on that, AJ. <laughs> minions? You know what I think of when I think of Minions? I That's think movie, of right? a sassy quote on Facebook, but the quote 
has a minion from the movie next to it, but the quote isn't from a minion. You must know what I mean. You've seen those? Yes. So yes. I don't think we can do it. That'd the be min- too damaging to the brand. The minions, what movie is that from again? Despicable Me. Despicable Me. Yeah, I was never into that movie. No. Yeah, minions, mm, I, I appreciate the suggestion, but um, one thing they did mention, whether you're a wrestler or a wrestling fan, oh, mm-hmm. we do have a handful, quite a handful of wrestlers that listen to the show. So shout out to all the wrestlers. And hopefully if they listen to this, you know, I can provide some insight that might may be helpful for them and their career. So big shout out to the wrestlers. But uh, thank you so and, much again, AJ, yeah. for the review. And big shout out to the wrestling fans as well. Well, of course. Of that course. goes that goes without saying. That goes without saying. Um, awesome. That being you, said, sorry, go right ahead, my man. I think it's time for Marty and Sam's top five. Oh, dearie me. I still enjoy that. I still greatly enjoy it. Everyone <laughs> comments on the world of sport wrestling. Nobody comments on that one. The majority of our audience is in the United States of America. I assume Steptoe and Son wasn't shown in the States. So they no had one... Sanford and Son. Is that like their version? Is that oh. their US office? It might be. I, I don't know. I don't hmm. know. <laughs> People let us know if you like let our little know. intro to top five. Um, Sam, you have the keys to the show this week. So tell us all what the top five theme is this week. We're reviewing Judgment Day 2004. And that features Charlie Haas and Rico. Now, I was looking at them when I was reviewing this. And I just thought, what is better? Well, there's lots of things better. But what is better than an odd couple tag team? And that got me thinking... We, we could stretch, we could we could get a top five out of this one so easily. And I just thought, I I can imagine yours already, by the way. I bet, I've, I, bet I know them all. I'm going to let you say yours first, and then I'll tell you afterwards if I genuinely had them. I'll, I mean, I'll give you one for free. You've got Kane and X-Puck in there, I know that. Wow. But we will see. <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay, so my list, I have tried to make it at least my number five and number four like a little less obvious answers. Oh, okay. And there's there's certainly teams that I'm missing out that probably deserve to be on this list, uh, but it's my list. And yeah, I want this to be different to maybe other lists that are out there. Do you know what I mean? Uh, honorable mention to New Jack and Shark Boy in TNA. Um, yes, hilarious tag team in TNA. <laughs> New Jack, when you watch him in ECW, he pretty much did the same thing the whole entire time. And then he actually did like such a different act in TNA and him being in a tag team with shark boy, they did so many comedy segments. And I remember this one where shark boy was in a paddling pool and he was asking new Jack to get in, get in it with him and just all this funny <laughs> stuff. And it was just like new Jack actually has like so much more depth than he's known for or showed in ECW. And I thought he showed it with this tag team with shark boy and you assume a tag team like this, they probably just threw the two guys together because they didn't know what to do with either of them. And I always think it's beautiful when that happens and the guys can actually make it work. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. those guys certainly did. So honorable mention shark boy and new Jack. So here it is the top five odd couple tag teams. 
Number five, Kurt Angle and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, I'm sure they teamed up, maybe not complete tag team, but they were certainly together and associated with each other and certainly played that odd couple. They, there's no doubt of that. They were an odd couple. This was Austin when he was heel, which I'm sure most of the listeners know. I was not a fan of the Austin heel turn. I personally think that it started the downfall of the professional wrestling business. Um, that being said, there were a, a bunch of highlights from Austin's heel run. And I think everyone remembers this couple in particular, his interactions with Kurt Angle. Kurt, for someone that wasn't a massive pro wrestling fan and came from a different background, it's just so astonishing how quickly he picked up the actual physical part of pro wrestling, the psychology part, but also just how much depth he had as a character. And yeah. he could do all this comedy and make you laugh so much. But then, you know, a minute later, what he, you know, wound you up where you want to see him get his ass kicked. Like it's such a good act. And the fact that like, you know, a lot of times if a wrestler starts doing comedy, you think, okay, it can only get them a certain way up the card, but Kurt Angle managed to do it, but still keep his, legitimacy still you know intact yeah still be perceived as dangerous mm. and still be was able to do it as a main eventer and obviously austin main eventer so these two together we all remember the little cowboy hats we all remember the the guitar the, the singing with steve austin so kurt angle and stone Cold steve austin are my number five i didn't have them on my version of your list there so we go that's why you got I'm me already I'm, I'm thinking outside the box a little bit all right my number four, Eddie Guerrero and China. Now, yeah, again, yeah. they I'm sure they obviously teamed up, but again, it's more of a, they were an odd couple. Yeah. I remember at the time just being so intrigued by this storyline. And I feel like this storyline doesn't get covered enough. And it might be because both the individuals have passed on now, maybe. I don't know why, because I just thought this was, pure gold because when people talk about Eddie Guerrero, they'll talk about, you know, he's some of his classic matches in ECW and WCW. And then they'll talk about the SmackDown six and maybe him as world champion, but they don't really ever bring up this angle with China, which I actually think was some of his best work of his whole entire career. And what was great about it is Eddie's a heel, China's a baby face. And you think like, no, why would she be interested in him? And then you kind of realize, Oh, like, love conquers all do you know what i mean like it and it is like real life do you know what i mean like there'll be the lady that you like and she'll like the jerk you like know? the bad guy yeah the bad boy yeah it makes sense but i thought they just did such a good angle with this and they had so many twists and turns and they got to the point with china where they didn't really know what to do with her it's kind of like what do we do like you know the problem is she couldn't really wrestle women because she just had to kill everyone so then they started having her wrestle men um, but teaming up with Eddie, he got to see like a whole new side out of China. Yeah. This is when Eddie first started to really get to show his personality in the WWE. Before this, he done the radicals and mainly just wrestled. I really feel like this was the start of Eddie's kind of like rise in the WWE. But I just remember watching this as a kid and just being enamored with this whole entire storyline. So Mamacita. Mamacita, absolutely. Mamacita. My number three, you guessed it, 
X-Pac and Kane. Again, I keep talking about watching wrestling when I was younger and how it made me feel. I was the biggest X-Pac fan as a kid. I still am now. And before this, Kane had been very protected as a top guy and for the majority, kind of an evil monster. So the idea of teaming up with X-Pac was just, you know, really out of the box. Mm. Uh, It probably shouldn't have worked, but it absolutely did. And I remember being a kid and being at school and me, my, I had a friend that was a lot bigger than me. So it's like, you're Kane, I'm X park and like pretending to be them. And I also remember being genuinely heartbroken. And there's been a few <laughs> times as a kid where I was like really heartbroken from wrestling. And it was when X park and Kane lost the tag titles to big show and undertaker. I think it was at SummerSlam because I'd, was so worried about like, I was actually worried about this match coming. Like, Oh no, they haven't faced someone like Undertaker and Big Show yet. Like this, oh, this might be the time they lose. I'm like, no, no, no. And sure enough, you know, I was trying to convince myself, no, they'll, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. And sure enough, they lost. And I was, like I said, actually kind of heartbroken. And then I kind of got heartbroken again when Xbox turned on Kane. So, but um, I don't think Kane's career would have went the way it did maybe it would have done but this was the first time he showed a different side to the Kane character which he needed to do you can you know you can't stay doing the same thing all the time when there's 52 weeks a year of tv and um at the same time with x-park it, it, i think it helped elevate x-park and wb there was no cruiserweight division or anything else um so i feel like this team with Kane was kind of like the perfect sort of spot for for x-park so yeah, of course, X Pac and Kane, my number three. My- do you remember when you said that X? Uh, excuse me. Did, do you remember when you said that Kane is like the ultimate tag team whore for odd couple tag teams? You, I, you could put Kane in multiple times, I guess, couldn't you? If you think about it. So, spoiler alert: um, Kane and Daniel Bryan aren't in my list, and I think they most people's odd couple or odd couples list. Team Hell No, Kane and Daniel Bryan would be in yeah, there. Been there. Um, but that's kind of why I didn't put them in my list because I just sure. didn't want my list to be cookie cutter 101. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But and that time of wrestling, I, I didn't see much of it. The stuff I did see was very, very good. Of course, Danielson, you know, one of the best wrestlers in the last 20 years, no doubt. And that def- definitely gave life to a new life to Kane. Uh, and people got really into that storyline. So, but if you think about it, it kind of was, you know, this X Pac and Kane tag team kind of laid the foundations for a tag team like that to happen. So similar dynamic, but they kind of took it steps further and it kind of went into that comedy realm and they did it very well. So shout out to them. My number two, again, an obvious one, Booker T and Goldust. Thank I you. still, I still from time to time, I still from time to time will go back and watch some of these Booker T and Goldust skits. And yeah, the, the dynamic was hilarious. Obviously you, you can create two more different characters and mm-hmm. they obviously played up on that and they made themselves sort of even more different. And that's kind of the charm of an odd couple tag team where the people are watching, they're not getting on. They are so different. But then watching them kind of grow into the point where like 
they're not such an odd couple or they're not so different mm-hmm. or they find similarities. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a beautiful story and great character development. And they certainly did that with Booker T and Goldust. And I honestly think this was the first time that WWE maybe thought, okay, Booker T is a real superstar because he really, you know, showed so much depth, so much character work and everything yeah. else. And he had done before, but I think here with Goldust, it was pretty next level. And again, like who came up with this, this tag team, who came up with this idea. And I do like when wrestling takes risks like this, do you know what I mean? Like it, it's not an obvious choice, but they gave it a go and the guys run with it and made it something. And you think about this before this, or even during it, like Booker T was in the NWO and it ended up being a better storyline or better pitch for him teaming up with Goldust than being in the new world order. Do you know what I mean? So that obviously just speaks like how well they did with this. Um, but they get extra points just because how funny it was and how well they managed to kind of tell that story with, I think they end up paying it off with them winning the tag team titles and stuff. So extra points for that. And coming in at number one, greatest odd couple of all time or odd couple tag team. The Rock and Sock Connection. And this, again, this kind of just comes down to how they made me feel as a kid. And I was so invested in The Rock and Mankind's feud and everything they did. And that I Quit match from the Royal Rumble 1999, where The Rock basically kills Mick Foley. I must have watched that match a hundred (laughs) times. I was obsessed with that because I just thought, I thought, the rock was so cool even though he was the heel i was still kind of going for the rock but i loved mick foley and mankind too so then when the rock turned babyface, i was like so happy and excited and then mick foley mankind starts to you know trying to team up with the rock just the perfect way they did it you know how the rock you know he has no interest in teaming up with mick foley and you know why would he look at the, all the history they have of each other and they just played the storyline so well. I mean, that segment they did, uh, The Rock, This Is Your Life, which if you go and watch back, is actually not very good at all. <laughs> I didn't think so anyway. It's it very long. but I don't I remember this. Yeah. they. Oh, yeah. They did. Um, Mick Foley did The Rock, This Is Your Life, a segment in the ring, mm. and where he brought out a bunch of like people from The Rock's past. past. But it went really long. They went super duper over on time. Um, but it ended up doing, I'm not sure if it was the highest rated thing ever, but it was like, it was in the top three or top five highest rated segment in raw history. So, you know, obviously business was booming back then, but yeah, I was just so obsessed with the rock and sock connection. And I think again, just the rock as a megastar, you know, if he can't be, he can't always be in the main event or the world title picture just constantly. So when he has to dip out of it, I thought this was a great way for him to do, do so. It. And the same thing with Mick Foley as well. Um, but yeah, my number one, the rock and sock connection. They were in my list of yours for sure. How could they not be in there? <laughs> How right, could they not be? Pretty, pretty much good all, list, all of, man. Yeah. Mine are all pretty much from this, pretty much the same era. Yeah. There's like a three year span between them all. <laughs> Okay, my number five, RVD and Sabu. Okay, so 
this is number five because it's not a very well-defined odd couple in that they kind of perform similarly as competitors but their personality so Sabu's like a wild card hothead insane guy and rvd is like the opposite right he's like the chilled out guy so just like they're kind of um they're kind of like attitudes towards goals even are aligned but sorry their goals are aligned but their attitudes and how they go to like get those reach those goals are are polar opposites and i just thought that was a nice dynamic that's only number five because it's not super clearly defined and it's also not that hilarious it didn't spell like many many comedy segments from it but i just thought they need for me i just thought they were good enough to be in there to give them a shout out number four tajiri and william regal now less of a like a proper tag team but this is more one of those definitely an odd couple and hilarious comedy segments now this is number four because again like rvd and sabu i don't find it too strongly defined because to me they're both kind of like there's no real like straight man they're both hilarious kind of thing do you know what i mean so again it's a little bit weaker but it provided so much entertainment that for me it has to be in there number three i've got head cheese (laughs) yeah i almost had them yeah (laughs) so my number three my number two and my number one are very similar like the dynamic is the same in each of them you've got a very clearly defined straight man who's just like always at their wits end with the wacky sidekick. So all three of mine fit the exact same mold, unfortunately. But for me, that's just, maybe I'm really simple, but I, that's where I get my laughs from, well, you know? It, so go it seems like pretty much most odd couple tag teams need that. seem, well, it seems like they all end up doing comedy. And the only one I can see in my list I mean, Eddie in China wasn't really that much comedy, and Xbox and Kane wasn't, but the others are. And all of yours so far seem to be, you know, go down that route. Uh, I did think of Head Cheese. Well, RVD and Sabu, not really. Oh, true. No, you're right. They no. didn't do. No, yeah. but it was. I mean, it just, what they do, were doing was funny. Like seeing how annoyed Sabu would get with Van Damme in the promo segments was yes. kind of funny, but they weren't like deliberately trying to be goofy right. or anything. Not but, wacky hijinks. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought about head cheese cause it was enjoyable, but I didn't think they were that successful as a team. So it kind of took some points down for them. I understand. Fair enough. But they did kill Chester McCheeseton with a guillotine leg drop. Didn't they have like the cheese hats at some point? Yeah, I think so. I think <laughs> they, they had did, the big yeah. cheese block hats. That's all I really remember from head cheese. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Number two is Charlie Huss and Rico. Now I, well, hang on. Right. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly okay i don't really want to talk about this until we get to the part in the pay-per-view review because i want to hear yeah let's just move on but we definitely we definitely have to talk about charlie house and rico there's a reason why they're in here my number one is go on uh booker t and gold dust yeah, of course it is <laughs> of course it is like you i'm thinking about all of these and Really, Booker T and Goldust are the only ones out of my top five where I actually go back and watch them, like you said, on YouTube, their segments. They're that good. And like you said, there's a, there's a nice little arc to it. So, for example, yeah, I think, wasn't it like Booker T, NWO, like weren't good to him or something? And he finds out like Goldust really was his true friend all along, that kind of stuff. And it's just, it was nice. It's kind of wholesome, very funny. 
But like you said, both incredible performers. Booker T, you've never really seen a side to him like that before properly. And he's just, he pulls it off just like masterfully. It's, yeah, it's so good. And I still watch those segments. They're still in my liked or whatever, like favorites on my YouTube playlist. So for sure, number one, odd couple tag team, Booker T and Gold Dust. You know, just to go further into that, and I said earlier, I feel like this has been WWE really saw him as a, a superstar. Let me go a little deeper into that. So Booker T, obviously, he'd been in the dying years of WCW. He'd been a main eventer, a world champion. What was it? Five-time, five-time world champion. And he came into the WWE, WWF. And they pretty much brought him in on, on top, wrestling guys like The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he was pretty much like the figurehead of the invasion and everything else. So fast forward to this when they turn around and be like, okay, you're going to be in a essentially a comedy tag team with Goldust. He could have looked at that as like a step down. Do you know what I mean? From what he'd been doing previously. But instead he's like, oh, I'm going to completely throw myself into this. I'm going to get this over. I'm going to be the star of the show in this tag team and show, you know, the world what I can do. And he did. And I think and that's when they were like, okay, we can give this guy anything and he's going to make it work. And this probably you know, inevitably led to him doing like the King Booker thing and everything else. It's, he obviously built that trust in the WWE probably through this whole deal. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think, you know, it definitely helped his career for sure. Booker T's. Um, the, the thing I remember most is Booker T that segment where he ends up in bed with gold dust and he's like running out and yeah. he's naked. It's just absolutely hilarious so i honestly when booker t was wrestling i wasn't really the biggest fan i I don't know why i just wasn't really that into him um but now going back and watching booker t i have like more of a an appreciation for him now i actually really do enjoy going back and watching booker t so i'm more of a fan now of booker t than i was when he was active which is pretty funny um but yeah and obviously this was a big part of it do you remember when you asked me who is your favorite wrestler who never won the championship? And I said, Booker T and you were like, mate, do you know five, do you know five times? Do you know what he's referring to when he says, well, he's five more times. than five times. I think yeah. He, yeah. Cause he was five times in WCW. Then he won the world yeah. title in WWE. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. All That's right. Great. Well, Sam, we are getting to the holidays, the festive mm-hmm. season. And I know what, the holidays and the festive season could look like for people, right? You're going to put on a few pounds. That's for sure. You've got your mother's cooking. There's chocolates everywhere. You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner. It, You know, if you drink red wine, all this stuff, there's just so much temptation. And, you know, it's good to indulge every now and then. Absolutely. You want to enjoy yourself and you can. Absolutely. But that brings me on to our sponsor, Legacy Sups. And you know what, Sab? Do you know one of my favorite sups from Legacy Sups is the X Lean 5. It's a fat burner. And these things, for me, they're pretty vital because you know how much I love chocolate and bread and cheese and meat. So taking a fat burner that actually works is very important for me. The X Lean 5 fat burner. This formula comprises five key thermogenic and lipogenic ingredients to target fat cells combined with an energy and focus blend. 
you want to get the most out of your workouts. Do you know what I mean? You want to take advantage of all the benefits that this blend has to offer. So you combine this with a calorie deficit diet and sort of high intensity exercise or whatever sort of cardiovascular you like to do, whatever your regime is, this is the perfect combination. And like I said, during hard times, like, like now and Christmas, you're going to put on the pounds. So we need to get active and doing something so we don't get it too out of hand. On the same subject, we know how important sleep is in this day and age. I want to ask the listeners, are you having trouble sleeping? Do you feel always tired? It's time to try Recovery PM and see why thousands of customers keep coming back for more. Yes, recovery and quality sleep are often the most overlooked ways to make significant gains in muscle mass and fat loss. You can change that by adding Recovery PM to your nightly routine. I don't think people realize this, but they'll be in the gym pumping the weights and, and bodybuilding, but your body's not going to grow if you don't have that correct rest. Sleep is so, so important. It just, it comes back to everything, just your general health, your stress levels, your focus, your lack of sleep will reduce your testosterone. All these things, sleep is so, so important. And the thing is, most over-the-counter sleep aids are just melatonin, right? The problem with that is if you can't relax and fall asleep in the first place, then melatonin is just going to make you cranky. I'm sure you've felt that before. Recovery PM is a professional blend of nine clinically proven natural sleep aids and tranquilizers plus magnesium. So you're going to relax first. Then you experience deep sleep and wake up refreshed and ready to attack the day. Your whole life is affected by lack of sleep, your work, your relationships, your mood, your performance, and for men in particular, poor quality sleep has a significant effect on testosterone levels, like I previously mentioned. There was actually a U Chicago study that found that men who slept five hours or less just for one week suffered a decrease in testosterone by 10 to 15%. Can you believe that? <laughs> And that's why Recovery PM is a part of the Ultimate Test Stack, which is also available at Legacy Subs. So what are you waiting for? Just for listening to this show, you can save yourself 10% of all Legacy Subs. So get yourself over to LegacySubs.com and use the promo code VILLAIN, that's V-I-L-L-A-I-N, for 10% off just for listening to this show. That's LegacySups.com. L-E-G-A-C-Y-S-U-P-P-S.com. And level up with Legacy. With that being said, I think it's time for us to get into today's review. Judgment Day 2004. Sam, you've got the keys. Tell us where we're at. It's May 2004. We're in... Los Angeles, okay, the Staples Center to be precise, with 18,721 other screaming fans. This is Judgment Day, which we should add is a um, SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view. Remember the branded pay-per-views? <laughs> yeah. But they were really pushing the branded pay-per-views, and I remember Judgment Day being very clearly a 
SmackDown one. Yeah. Judgment Day was also one of those um, suffixes to in your house, I believe, originally. Do you know what I'm... T- remember Correct. you telling, yeah. talking to us about those? Yeah. And then it became its own pay-per-view. Yes. This is right. the 2004 edition of Judgment Day. Now, I said 18,722 people in attendance, which they say is sold out. I'll take their word for that. I'll take the WWE's word for that. Why would they lie to me? What do you reckon the buy rate was? 2004 WWE. What was the date of the show? Uh, two, it was May 16th, 2004. Okay. Hmm. It's a SmackDown. This is a only, branded pay-per-view. Right. SmackDown only branded pay-per-view. Uh, obviously, I've seen the card. WWE still doing decent numbers here, but I think when they did the you know SmackDown only branded pay-per-views, I think they didn't do as well. I'm going to say... 200 and 230,000 buys. Yes, 235,000 buys. Oh, but you give go. me a 5,000 or 10,000 <laughs> margin of error so you can have it. Now, that clearly didn't shock you. That shocked me. I thought it was going to be a lot lower. WWE, you got to remember, they still were 2004, still kind of riding high and everything else. Okay. But, um, yeah, they were still doing pretty good numbers, but one thing that you won't be able to guess though is it has a tagline to it. Do you know what this was? It's no. awful. Uh, souls, that. souls will cry. Souls will cry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like they always the Judgment Day. I remember the original one, or maybe the nineteen ninety eight one. They'd always make a big deal of, of Judgment Day, and it would have the voiceover like Judgment Day is upon us. Yes. And, it is oh, really, I'll get to that. Yeah, it is really, I don't want to go too far off track, but it is funny how like now in the year 2023, like one of the hottest things in wrestling is named after like a B pay-per-view from the yeah. 2000s. So WWE. A, for, a former in your house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. The program begins with a tacked on warning that WWE characters are fictitious and don't reflect the personal lives of the actors portraying them. So nobody has a go at JBL for being racist. (laughs) But because the warning card was baked into the programming over four years ago, it references the parental control settings of the WWE network, despite being on Peacock now. Whoops. First mistake. Following this is another warning about the same thing, only presented in a different font and manner. We get it. However, this don't judge us or our actors message is undermined five seconds later with an opening package about how people will be judged by their actions, because this is Judgment Day, and that the wicked will be condemned. This mixed messaging means I don't know if I'm supposed to condemn the wicked or not, but as I'm from the internet, I should probably blindly go with my gut. What's JBL's Twitter handle? I really feel feel compelled to bring something up that isn't real from two decades ago that I don't understand. Luckily, the video is over quickly. It's not the best. It wasn't the best WWE have ever done, but no. it's, like, it's exactly how you said it was, right? Yeah, yeah that it thing. Was. We then, though, one thing that I did like, we then see the stage, which has like, when the Titantron screen isn't on, it represents like a full moon, and it has large white waxy looking crosses hanging from the rafters and a sort of cemetery fence gangway marty 
what do you think of the Judgment Day 2004 stage? Because I know you love the stage designs. It's like your thing. Yeah, I'm all, you know, I love just themed sets full stop. Yeah. I think that was part of the charm and the excitement um, of watching a pay-per-view back then. It's like, oh, what's the set going to look like? And how can they yeah. get creative this time? And also I felt like it, it made it so much more easier to kind of like individualize the pay-per-views and like remember which one was which just because mm. they had such a different look. Whereas now yeah. everything has the same look. So it all kind of just merges into one, but back yeah, then, that's you, a good like, point. Yeah. you know, backlash. Oh, I know what that was. Um, you know, whenever it was the judgment day or Halloween havoc, whatever it is. Like, yeah. I think, I think the sets, I get why they don't do them. It's a big expense, but mm-hmm. for me, I, I think, think it's it, worth it. I think it's worth it. I totally do. But this one, Judgment Day, it was cool. And this was kind of like, a, you know, we reviewed Halloween Havoc the other day. This is kind of like a spooky type mm-hmm. theme. And uh, yeah, I liked it. It worked well. It, it was funny that it was a spooky themed pay-per-view set in May. And they kept cutting to outside of the Staples Center. It's just broad. It's like midday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So to begin, the opener, Rey Mysterio, RVD, teaming up to take on the Dudley Boys. Rey is dressed like one of the low down the list alternative casual costumes that King would have in Tekken, but he pulls it off. He then takes off his shirt to reveal a tight black vest and looked better with the shirt on, I think, which I know you won't agree with. But what we can agree on is Bubba Ray's shorts were far too short and they looked like hot pants. <laughs> I could calibrate the white balance of my monitor on his pasty legs. RVD takes the win in 15 minutes and 17 seconds. This was a good opener, not a great opener. So when the Dudley boys wore the blue tie dye, that was cool. Yeah. When the Dudley boys wore kind of like the original camouflage or traditional camouflage, that was cool. I could not get with the Dudley boys wearing yellow. And yeah. <laughs> clearly they were trying to like mix things up, but I feel like the yellow did not work for them. And they, it, they look like um, a couple of like, mo- like when you hire a moving van or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was very off-putting. I thought the whole, yeah. the whole run with yellow was just to me very off-putting, but no, this match. Um, so, there is a handful of matches on this pay-per-view, which kind of shows you like why the single branded pay-per-views are maybe not the best idea. This match, it was a fine match. I thought it was a little slow and it took a while to get going considering who was in it, you know, all obviously good workers. And then you've got Mysterio and Van Damme, like two of the you know best high flies ever. I, you know how I'm not into gimmick matches. I'm not into tables matches. I will say this because this match had like no stakes. It wasn't for the tag team championships or anything. I actually felt like this match could have been helped by being like a tables match or something. I feel like that would have made it far more exciting because to me, this just seemed like a match that could have been easily on SmackDown. And I feel like there's a handful of matches on this show. I'm just like, why are they having this match? Like, it didn't seem like there was any real story. They didn't have a recap beforehand. It was not for a championship. Um, So to me, I just kind of felt like, why should I care? And the guys kind of worked hard, but like I did, there was no rule. I felt, you know, other than like, Oh, I want to see the good guys win. There was no Mm. real story to it. 
You are right. A lot of these matches did feel just like they were SmackDown episode TV matches. You, you, yeah. Hmm. You know, Rey Mysterio is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Yeah. And he can do some amazing things in the ring. I just never understood why Rey Mysterio busted out the Bronco Buster every now and then. It always seemed a bit out of place for a Mysterio. And obviously one of my other favorite wrestlers of all time is X-Park. And yeah. for him, it worked. I was never really the biggest fan of it. It wasn't something where when he did it when I was younger, I'd be like, yeah, awesome. But when Ray did it, I was always kind of like, huh, why is he Why is he doing that? Um, well, it works for X-Pac because he's like cocky and annoying. And he's saying suck it constantly. Yeah. And he's saying suck it. So like, <laughs> it makes sense why he does it. Ray? Huh. Like, yeah. you, you kind of think he's above that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I remember once, for whatever reason, I remember wrestling, it was when I was young, and... I like to take this buckle in the corner, kind of like a Bronco Buster, but I would like, the guy would move and I would like bounce out and do this big bump. But I wanted to like hit a Bronco Buster before that to kind of, you know, establish it. Yes. Yeah. And I remember hitting a Bronco Buster in a match. I was like super young at this point. And one of the veterans kind of pulled me aside afterwards and was like, oh, everything you did was great. It was like, but the Bronco Buster, uh, I kind of feel like you're better than that. Like you can do all this great stuff. Like, why are you doing a Bronco Buster? And I was like, hmm, I think you're right. And hmm. I never did a Bronco Buster ever again. So <laughs> who is the guy who tries to interview Booker T after the match? Uh, it was Josh Matthews, I believe. Okay. Uh, you're wrong. He's actually the physical embodiment of the early 2000s. I literally have in my notes, Josh Matthews looking very 2004, <laughs> pink yeah. shirts and like diamond earrings or something. Two two <laughs> diamond studs and you know, one in each ear and the, ble the bleach one hair and everything. Yeah. Yeah. The tips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Frost frosted tips. Yeah. Yeah. Early 2000s walks in on Booker who is standing in a summoning circle within the saddest dressing room I've ever seen. It has no furniture in it for them to put their clothes <laughs> in. Booker has a voodoo pouch that he claims has the power to defeat The Undertaker. And by claims, I mean bellows into the face of early 2000s from a mere five inches away. Following that, Kurt Angle makes his way to the stage and materializes from a raising contraption in a wheelchair. You mentioned this earlier, like it just constantly surprises me how Kurt can do the stupidest stuff with a completely straight face and just pull everything off like flawlessly. I completely forgot that Kurt Angle was the general manager at some point for WWE or for SmackDown. GM of SmackDown, yeah. Yeah, I assume, you know, he's injured. Um, I have like, it's so funny how reoccurring the old heels on wheels is. Like there's so many times in wrestling they'll have a heel in a wheelchair. I mean, actually, they're doing it right now in AEW with um, Roderick Strong. I'm pretty sure he's in a wheelchair. Like, it's always been, like, an occurring theme, and it just gets so, for whatever reason, just being in a wheelchair, you'd think, would get you sympathy, but in wrestling, it just gets you heat. Like, it's the opposite. It's great, you know I mean? isn't it? Right, I people know. hate them in wheelchairs. So I call it uh, heels on wheels. Um, I don't know if that's an official term, but... I didn't realize that yeah. that Kurt Angle was part of that that club, but yeah, heels on yeah. heels on wheels. We'll make a shout out of that. He has a heavy push, a massive, massive box all the way down the entrance ramp to the ring, and then it's like a lift, an elevator, and Kurt Angle pops up from well, the top. They used that earlier for Rey Mysterio's entrance. Was that the same box? Yeah, they just used it again. Yeah, 
Oh, that's hilarious. Well, that there you go. They spent so much. They spent so much on the stage. They cut right. costs by doubling up, which is a very wise thing to do. Yeah. Um, he does the cheap location-based heat. So, of he course, does. I'm all in on that. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, okay, Kurt. So he's in a wheelchair because he has a broken leg. Okay, in in the story, but on that broken leg, did you notice he has his shoe? on the broken leg which is in a cast and it's tied up with the lace okay now when people have broken legs they never have their shoe on right because their leg is broken now i don't know if you remember but it's revealed later on in the year or like a few weeks later that kurt was faking his leg injury oh okay so was that shoe on the tied up on the like amazing foreshadowing (laughs) <laughs> or just a mistake because it's like amazing foreshadowing and writing and foresight if it was like a clue that he's faking his injury because he has his shoe on the broken leg i think uh you're giving it too much credit i think <laughs> i'm happy to do that and pretending that was deliberate and if so that's bravo he blames tori for his broken leg and says she will be Fired if she doesn't win against Dawn Marie, which sets up our next match where Tori Wilson defeats Dawn Marie in a little over six minutes. Did you notice fierce patriot and American hero Kurt Angle is supposed to be in an America themed wheelchair, but they knew it was supposed to have red, white and blue on it? But they did those colors vertically in the wrong order. And he's actually in a wheelchair that's displaying the French flag. <laughs> I did not notice that. Yeah. So funny. Fierce American patriot Kurt Angle is in a French flag wheelchair. <laughs> he did, just painted he did, those and called it a day. You, you didn't mention um, Luther Reigns, who was with Kurt Angle. And I, I didn't recognize of, who that was. I kind of forgot about him. It's so funny. Like in the mid 2000s, Specifically, it feels like on SmackDown, but I guess across the board of both shows, there were so many like big guys that they brought in that just or brought in that they tried to do stuff with, but it just never paid off. And Luther Reigns is kind of they always seem kind of like generic kind of big guys, and Luther Reigns always comes to mind. But you know, they tried it with loads of guys and Matt Morgan, uh, Mordecai, who we'll see later in the show, um, Nathan Jones. All, all these different guys in the mid 2000s that they, they were there for like a minute, a cup of coffee. And then somebody was like, Nope, they're not getting it. And they got rid of them. So, but, uh, Luther reigns. I always thought he had somewhat potential, but, um, this match. Yeah. Just, uh, there's only one thing to say about this match and I'm still trying to work out if it was deliberate or an accident. And what I'm talking about is one point Tori gives Dawn Marie a schoolboy, and, has a wardrobe malfunction, but basically her gear like rips and her tights are basically down her hips and, you know, her ass is fully out. But the reason why I think, I feel like they maybe were trying to do the spot, but just to like pull the tights down slightly. So the butt would be out, but then pulling the tights actually ripped them and exploded the tights because then Dawn Marie, she's wrestling with like, nothing on the front either other than a fong and then her butts out and it didn't seem deliberate to rip the tights because straight away her butts out and she's all like pretty much naked and she just stops Tori 
Wilson right away. And I feel like if they planned the spot, she would have maybe sold, you know, being naked more. So yeah, it, it was uh pretty bizarre, but the six minutes, that was probably too long for this match. I know Tori was very popular, but uh, yeah, not the greatest match. And the only thing I can say about it is uh, yeah, Storm Marie's gear exploding and basically wrestling pretty much naked. Yeah. Match of the night. <laughs> okay. Yeah. After that, we go straight to Scotty Too Hotty in a shirt of the pay-per-view we are watching, <laughs> which you let us know tells us his place on the roster uh, against Colonel Sanders, who in his mm. debut, I believe, squashes Scotty, but manages to cut his own lip at the same time. So Mordecai defeats Scotty Too Hotty instantly. It's like three minutes, but seriously, it was like instantly. However, before we get into the match, Marty, I'm pretty sure the Peacock version is censored because I have the DVD version and I remember a JBL promo before this match where he does some anti-immigrant sentiment and it's not on this Peacock version. They probably would cut that out. They didn't cut out in the Dudley Boys and Van Damme Mysterio match. Baba gets Rey Mysterio in a tree of woe. And he's like hitting him in the tree of woe and he's calling him like a pinata. That, that was <laughs> I didn't still, notice. <laughs> yeah, that was still in the in the um Peacock censors didn't notice either then. Yeah. I guess they didn't notice. <laughs> um well yeah, this was a squash match. This was yeah. Mordecai's debut. And was, yeah. And do you know the story of Mordecai at all? No. I know who he becomes. Sure. So Kevin Ford, or his yes. real name's Kevin Fertig or something. I think he'd been in OVW and he'd been doing dark matches for WWE for quite some time, like maybe like a year or so, just, just doing dark matches. And then he finally had a meeting with Vince McMahon and he was in a tag team as well, actually. He was in a tag team, I think, with Tyson Tomko, who we've seen on the show okay. before. And I yeah. think, they, and he also was a tag team with Sin and they did some kind of like, you know, spooky gimmick whatever or the devils whatever it was and as a meeting with vincent man and vince says you know i don't need tag teams i need single stars like what's your singles pitch and kevin well kevin Ford comes out with this whole mordecai character where the idea that it would you know punish people for their sins and everything else and essentially i think the gimmick really was supposed to be like the white version of the undertaker if undertaker mm -hmm. wears all black this is mm -hmm. your way like, there was also rumors that he was actually going to be they were going to tie him as a part of the undertaker and kane's like lineage and family which oh. i think would have helped quite a lot and kevin suggests that it was the idea was to lead to a match at wrestlemania undertaker versus mordecai now the mordecai concept i thought was really really cool and I actually remember at the time being really, really excited about it. And I just, you know, because Kane had been so cool. And I was just always, I was always obsessed when I was younger with stuff like this with Undertaker. Like I was excited when they did Undertaker versus Undertaker, do you know what I mean? <laughs> which was <laughs> terrible. So I think it's just because I loved the fighting games when I was young, like Mortal Kombat and mm. Street Fighter. And it's kind of almost like that. Like, are we going to see Sub-Zero versus Scorpio? You know what I mean? Um, so... I was pumped for it. This match with Mordecai, 
it was not an impressive debut. And I think the reason mm-hmm. being he was relatively aggressive, but with this gimmick, Kevin or Mordecai, he needed to have more impact in his moves and more explosiveness. Like the only two times he bumps Scotty to in this right at the finish, he gives him a short arm clothesline and then he picks him up, gives him his finish, which is like a razor's edge basically. Mm-hmm. But he needed to be far more impressive than that. He needed to be throwing little Scotty Tuati all over the ring. He needs to be gorilla pressing him overhead, belly to belly suplex, like whatever gut wrench suplex German, whatever it might be. He needs to really be throwing him around and really showing his power and everything else. But instead he was like, you know, choking on the ropes and holding him against the ring post. And I get what he was trying to do, but it just didn't really work. And I think in the lead up to this, he'd been working Scotty Tuati on the house shows and it was probably one of those cases where he wanted to be respectful to Scotty. And like, obviously Scotty is the veteran and you mm-hmm. know, was a big star at one point and he's coming in new and maybe Mordecai didn't want to be like, yeah, I'm just going to kick your ass and bump you a hundred times. So it really, one of the agents sh- should have said, okay, Scotty, you know, we apologize. Um, you know, but tonight's not your night. This is for Kevin. This is what we need for the show. We need you to make him look like a million bucks, you know? Um, you know, and Scotty, you'll have your time tonight is Mordecai's time. That's just how you have to put it. You know, I've been in that situation before where I've had to tell people, okay, tonight you're doing, you know, it's, it's for them. It's an 80, 20 match to them, whatever it might be. Um, and yeah, so it did not really work. And the crowd was pretty much silent. I will say this, uh, Mordecai is one of those things in wrestling where people will, will say like, oh, it was so bad. And oh, what a terrible gimmick. I never thought it was that. I didn't think it was particularly good, but I didn't think it was bad. And I actually thought the concept for it was good, a good concept. Um, I think he had this match. Then he had a, the next pay-per-view. He wrestled Hardcore Holly in like a 50-50 match. And then the next week on SmackDown, he wrestled Rey What's Mysterio. a 50-50 match? Like an even match, like an e- even Stevens match. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where both wrestlers are seen on, yeah. you know what I mean? Come on, come on, it's okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and then he had the match on SmackDown against Rey Mysterio, where he lost to Rey Mysterio, and then he was gone and never seen again. Now, there's sort of conflicting stories about this. Kevin Fawn suggests that during this first, you know, this push, whatever, he got into a bar fight and basically some guy tried to start some trouble with him. He ended it. This guy, you know, so I guess he beat up this guy and this guy found out that he was a WWE superstar, assumed he was rich and then, you know, did a lawsuit and there was suing Mordecai and suing WWE. So Mordecai says that WWE killed the gimmick because of this lawsuit and they didn't want to draw any more attention to him and everything else. But I do remember listening to the Bruce Pritchard podcast and he suggests that Mordecai wasn't he was too slow and not fast enough. And he wanted to wrestle like the undertaker so much, but they guess had a vision for him that Mordecai couldn't do. I don't think he wrestled like the undertaker personally. Um, though I do see the similarities in the character because I thought this gimmick was so a good idea. I just don't think Kevin was the right guy for it. I was trying to think in my head, like who else could have done this gimmick at this time? Like who would, would have actually been viable. And I was thinking, I don't know if this would have worked, but in 2004, Sean O'Hare was still 
in WWE. I think it was in developmental at that point. Uh, like it sent him back to developmental. I think he had a few problems. So this is probably unrealistic, but he had, you know, grown his hair out and had a cool, you know, goatee and everything else. And to be honest with you, his devil's advocate gimmick, which they scrapped, kind of similar. There's some similarities with this gimmick, but he looked impressive and he could be big and powerful in the ring. So I felt like if they'd given the gimmick to Sean O'Hare and he dyed himself all white and everything else, brought him in, repackaged him as Mordecai, like seeing him work with Undertaker at WrestleMania could have been really, really cool. But for some reason, I was just thinking, who was around at that time? I was thinking, oh, it was like maybe Mike Awesome, but maybe he's too established as that. I'm just trying to think who could have done this role. Um, but yeah, this actually, this is the the match that, well, other than the main event, this is the match that I think about when this we talk about this show. Yeah. If someone says Judgment Day 2004, I'm like, oh, Mordecai's Mordecai. Mordecai. <laughs> I think a lot of people do. Yeah. I don't agree with you that the so a palette swap of an existing character for me just isn't enough to be interesting. And like Kane, for example, isn't that. Do you know what I mean? That's why he's so interesting. He's wholly unique. I don't I disagree with you. Just like a white. You think you think Kane is the same as the Undertaker? Just a well, red version. That was the, the idea, yeah. Did you not, did you ever see any of Mordecai's like vignettes? Because the character was different to the Undertaker. I feel. no, I haven't. I've only seen him from Judgment Day two thousand and four. But <laughs> in the name of the pay per view, I'm allowed to judge him just by that. <laughs> well, his character definitely what there was. It wasn't complete rip off of Undertaker, despite what you think. I feel like his outfit and the the robe. It looked a wore, bit party city. The the, the robe especially. It? Look yeah. cheap. I said, if you're gonna do this gimmick, like you gotta invest in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. His robe should have looked like amazing, and it looked kind of thin, and like you said, like a costume. So that just from the get go hurt the gimmick. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And it also didn't help that he looks exactly. So he has a hood on, so you can't see that he's got long hair, but he's got the exact same facial hair, facial structure, and all white adornment of Colonel Sanders from KFC <laughs> fame, which doesn't help his spooky credentials. Yeah, the white. I, if the thing is, if it's like white hair, that's one thing. But I think the beard and the eyebrows, eyebrows really kind of, kind of made it almost comical. Maybe I don't know. I feel like there's ways they could have done this gimmick, but it, for whatever reason, it didn't work. Yeah. And I, I feel like somebody probably scrapped it because they felt like it just wasn't working. As well, I'm going to guess. Felt the same way. Yeah. Jacqueline busts into Chavo's locker room to bequeath him a gift of women's underwear, but not for him to enjoy, but for him to wear. Because if she's, if he's going to be beaten by a woman, he's got to look like a woman. And then he gives those, that outfit to Chavo classic, who then gets enjoyment out of them. And that's a funny segment. Okay. <laughs> well, it's that's two weeks. It. Of, is it, yeah. is it? Was it? I oh know it wasn't last week, but our last review, Halloween Havoc, we saw the intergender match with Disco and Jacqueline, which we'll has ca to, caused yeah. quite the debate actually on um, on the social media. But lots of people saying, "Oh, why did Disco have a problem putting Jacqueline over?" And a lot of people saying Jacqueline could kick his ass in real life. And I don't really have an opinion on it evil way, uh, or you know, but I was like. Okay, what are you basing that opinion on? Because it seems like you just don't like Disco Inferno, so you assume that Jacqueline can kick his ass. Because he, 
dude, he's he's still got to remember. Like, what do we know? He's like, well, he's a hundred pounds heavier than Jacqueline, and like a foot taller. Do you know what I mean? And you're just assuming that she'll kick his ass because she's tough. I was like, hmm, I don't know about that. But it was quite the debate on people got very heated media. about it. And people a hate lot of disco. It was I? D- yeah. Well. I don't. I. I. Yeah. I have no idea why. But <laughs> let's say that is. I don't think that she could beat him in a real fight in both of their heydays. But let's say that she could. Okay. Okay. Let's say that she could. This is wrestling. Like we're right. not talking about a street fight to the death. We're talking about pro wrestling. So like, how yeah. does that even? We could. Go, we could say that about like all sorts of different matchups at the time. But people got really kind of hung up on this one for some reason. But yeah. We'll get to that more when we get to the match because obviously it's Chavo's turn. Who did? Um, who didn't? You know, he did lay down. He did. I think right. He she beat him before this match, or whatever. But we'll get to that. Uh, anyway, but before then, we get to Charlie Haas and Rico versus Billy Gunn and Hardcore Holly, where Rico and Charlie Haas retain their tag team championship belts in just over ten minutes. Now. I could tell by your face when we did the top five, you've got something you really desperately want to pop off about Charlie Haas and Rico not being a great tag team. Let's hear it. First of all, this match, why is it on pay-per-view? This is a SmackDown match. Like the, yeah. Billy Gunn in 2004, teaming up with Hardcore Holly. Come on. This is this just screams makeshift. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Hardcore Holly, great with Crash Holly. Billy Gunn, great as the smoking guns, great as the new age outlaws. Yeah. I'd even say great with Chuck, Billy and Chuck, but this is completely just thrown together. Yeah. Billy Gunn, for whatever reason, when like his whole career, when he wasn't Mr. Ass, it just never seemed to click with him. It seems until mm. like now, until like the last year or two, where he's been doing the daddy ass thing with the acclaimed had like this big resurgence, but he, he could never seem to step away from the Mr. Ass character. Um, but yeah, this match, it, I was watching this thinking, surely the first match, the Dudley boys versus RVD and Rey Mysterio should have been for the tag team titles. It just seemed really out of place. This and people's, you know, just weren't really that interested. Um, here, Rico, they've got him doing the Adrian street gimmick. And mm-hmm. I think he actually spent time with Adrian street to kind of study, to get, you know, ready for this character whether this worked or not that that's debatable but he wasn't doing the agent street character right if that's what he was trying to do like at all he was doing he wasn't he was doing it wrong right like the agent street or exotic agent street character the whole kind of concept of it was you know he was exotic and very flamboyant but he was also this like aggressive hard man that were like you know yeah bite your nose off and beat you up. And he had Miss Linda with him and it looked like they were a couple, but then in the ring, he would do things, you know, to be provocative and, you know, even kiss the opponent. So the whole kind of thing with him was like, is he, or isn't he? Do you know what I mean? With like everyone, they couldn't work out his sexuality. That was the. You're talking about Adrian street. Correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was kind yeah. of like the charm to the character, that mystique, like we were. Yeah. Well, there's no about. ambiguity with Rico in this right. way I mean, portrayed. They've put a woman with Rico, but so they're trying to do the same thing, but it's just like 
no, he's just full on flamboyant. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. like, it's not really any real depth to this character where as with the agent street, there, there was a lot or so much, do you know what I mean? Which made him so sort of successful and a big draw with Rico. It's just very like more so black and white. Do you know what I mean? Just like, boom, here it is. Um, and they've tried to team him up with Charlie house, Charlie house. I just spoke about Billy Gunn, you know, only working as Mr. Ass. Charlie House in the team angle with Shelton Benjamin was like the perfect way to use Charlie House. It was like House was an amazing in-ring performer, but didn't have a lot of charisma. So he was probably never going to be like a top singles guy, but him and Shelton in the tag team, very credible, great tag team. Um, when he wasn't in this that tag team, I felt like they never really knew what to do with him. Do you know what I mean? I think that's fair to say. And here they're trying something. I think Haas was actually married to Jackie Gator in real life. So it's probably why they did this. Um, and for what it was, you know, I, the, the Rico gimmick at the time, I remember watching it. I did actually quite enjoy. I, I just thought it was cool. They were doing something with Rico. And I remembered Adrian Street when I was younger. So I was like, oh, cool. And it was enjoyable enough, but he didn't, I don't think with that character, he could have took it to such you know, further heights than it did. Do you know what I mean? Like think about how we think about the Goldust character and like the, the mark that I had him wrestling, but the Rico thing is kind of, I don't think many people even remember it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he probably wasn't going to be world champion with this, but it could have been a real sort of gimmick that's like stuck in all of our minds and everything else. But I felt like uh, people kind of forget about it. I think when you say Rico, they actually think more of, the original Rico, the stylist or whatever, or, you know, the one yeah. that was with three minute warning. I think people kind of forget this. And for such a loud gimmick, how could people forget it? There must've been some kind of disconnect, disconnect you know? So the, why I've got them in a, as a decent odd couple is actually, I think because of Jackie. Now I don't know their um, structure, but the way I kind of understood it, and I could be absolutely wrong about this, was that Jackie wasn't there for some to still give Rico some ambiguity. I thought that the dynamic was Charlie wants to get with Jackie and yeah, they're married in real life or whatever. Rico's like her gay best friend and Charlie's just having to put up with it to get in there, which I, which is, that's how I read it. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but that's how I go in. And I thought that that was kind of a very unique, kind of a really funny setup. Yeah. Do you feel like, yeah. Hmm. Do you feel like for years, like WWE's maybe wrestling as a whole presentation of gay people, pretty homophobic. Do you think it's fair yes. to say? Right. Yes. Now, I was going to get to that. Like there are issues. Yes. <laughs> like like right. I like them. However, there are issues. Yes. I, I do agree with you on that one. Um, like the fact that you're like, Oh, like <laughs> the storyline is like, he has to put up with Rico. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know because... I'm being, yes, yes. But I also, I do think like Charlie Huss did, you say he kind of lacked that kind of like charisma level, but I feel like he did portray that very well, which is why I think they, they did have strengths that they could play off of each other. Now, I know people will probably be annoyed with me doing this, but I am also, this was from 2004. So I am looking at it through that lens, just like when Dawn Marie, like if it was intentional, her butt comes out. Okay. 
I can enjoy it because it's from 2004. Because I'm looking back on a DVD, which is sure. also why I was upset that uh, JBL's like comments were censored. Because also, not only is it again we, we're watching it from 2004, but that was some very good hill work. Like that was a shame that we don't get to see that. So I'm trying to enjoy it from that perspective. And when yeah, you leave, yes, it, would it fly today? Absolutely not. Okay. Right, but they're but kind we're of reviewing something to... from 2004, and I'm right. it's taking like it through that lens. Yeah, it's like they're trying to erase history, and it's kind of like you kind of need that stuff there to be like, look, you know, this sort of stuff happened back then. This is why we don't do it now. Do you know what I mean? Or people can see kind of, you know, we can learn from it. You know what I mean? Just erasing it from history. I don't know how I feel about that. Do you know what I mean? Because that was something that happened back then. But I guess W just, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to cover the image. And to yeah. be fair, yeah. there's probably lots of kids that watch Peacock and they're trying to watch wrestling. And if they see something like that, like JBL doing kind of like a racial promo, and then they go to school and they're repeating stuff, then, you know, next thing you know, parents are like, okay, we're counseling. <laughs> the network whatever it is so from a business standpoint probably don't want it from an optic standpoint probably don't want it so yeah i i can see kind of both sides what i always think is funny with wrestling is people all know that it's a show and everyone tells everyone how it's a show but there still seems to be like lines that they shouldn't cross because you could watch a, like a movie can come out tomorrow or a tv show with a racist character in it and no one would think it was an issue, right? Mm. Well, maybe they would in this day and age. I don't know. But like, that's, you know, that that's a thing. Like you can have a racist character, but when it's in wrestling, even though people know it's not real, it still seems to be crossing the line. Like, I don't know if you heard about this online, but there was a, a segment a few weeks ago on um, the NWA where they had father James Mitchell um, like at an angle where he was doing like cocaine out in the audience. He was with like other like wrestlers all doing mm -hmm. cocaine obviously it was fake or whatever and it just sparked like a big controversy and everything else became this whole big thing um and you know everyone kind of saying how stupid it was and they actually think that the rumor is that they lost them a tv deal worth millions of dollars with the cw network i don't know if that's true or not um but again see someone in a movie doing cocaine no problem at all Right. right, wrestling still. I think because wrestling still is trying to portray itself as real, even though we know it's not. That's kind of the where it becomes kind of difficult, maybe. But a movie that will have cocaine use in it will probably be targeted towards a certain audience, like age-wise. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah. wrestling, they have to kind of cover all age categories. Yeah, I mean that's another big. That's reason, the only thing I can sure. think of. Yeah. Sure, totally, totally. But yeah, this What's match, whatever. <laughs> we go to the laziest backstage segment The Undertaker has ever participated in. Then we get repeats of what led up to the Jacqueline Chavo feud, which leads to the match itself for the Cruiserweight Championship, continuing our podcast's unintended series of discussions of Jacqueline taking on male counterparts. So there we go. So yes, this was the Jacqueline versus Chavo Guerrero match for the cruiserweight championship which chavo won in you tell me how long this took um six seven minutes yeah no it was only four minutes 50. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Didn't it feel like longer? Yeah. It it did. It did. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. There was quite a lot of issues with this. They, so Jacqueline had beat Chavo for the Cruiserweight Championship. And I think she did it where like there was a distraction and she low blowed him. Low blow, she, yeah. You know, and it's a good story. Like, that, that, you know, the woman wins the Cruiserweight title. I think it was the first time it happened. Well, actually, in WCW, they did it with Medusa, but still. In WWE, like first time it's happened, something different. So here, Chavo challenges her, and I guess the way they're trying to make it more even is that Chavo will have one arm tied behind his back. Dude, trying to wrestle with one arm tied behind your back is so much more difficult than you think it is. Like he would be so restricted. Sometimes we'll do an exercise in jujitsu where we have to do it with one arm. Like they'll, I have to put my arm through my belt so I can only use one arm during jujitsu. And it's so, so difficult. And in wrestling, it would be even harder. You need your hands for everything and balance and everything else. So, so that really restricted what they could do in the match. I also, this might not be a popular um, opinion, but I also just think that, Jacqueline just wasn't really that over with the audience. I felt like if they did this with someone like Lita or Trish, crowd probably would have been really into it. And I remember they did Lita versus Dean Malenko, I want to say. Crowd loved it. Mm. Jacqueline, I just don't think, was really a whole run in WWE. Always a good worker and obviously had a place in the company, um, but never really that over. Maybe the most she was over was when she was a heel feuding with Sable and joint with Mark Miro, but here, I just don't think the people really cared. I think that's fair to say. I agree. I agree. Do you know what is a popular opinion? What's that? I think Jacqueline could defeat Disco Inferno with one arm tied behind her back in a real fight. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, no, the, the, the match itself, though, was a series of um, Chavo Classic gets item A from outside to distract the ref while Chavo takes his arm out from behind his back and doesn't move. And then after Chavo Classic's item A gets taken away from him, Chavo Classic gets item B and does it again. And it just went on and on. It was just like very one note. It was, it was, yeah. Just, yeah it was I fun. thought that was weird. I felt like as soon as the referee was distracted, as soon as he pulled his arm out to free, he should just finish it there and then, but they yeah, just kept but they going. Did it through. Yeah. It's yeah. like, that's not really heat. Like the heat would have been just like, you know, like a thief in the night, you've got to be quick and boom. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, you can't do it too much. So yeah, this was, I love Chavo, you know, shout out to Chavo, but uh, this was a miss for me. A recap package where John Cena, White Knights, Fatori Wilson and America precedes Rene Dupree versus John Cena, which wasn't as good as expected given the both of them. Also, perpetual suck-up, Cena, also kisses the knot of LA, where the event takes place. And of course, of course, who wins? Cena wins in just under 10 minutes. few things about this that I was thinking watching this. So one, John Cena comes out and he's still doing the Fugonomics deal here. Doctor of Fugonomics here. He still has that music. Oh, much better music, isn't it? It's awesome. Well, hey. I, I was watching it thinking he does the rap and that was always pretty over. And here this was, you know, not too much longer after he, you know, been a heel and the crowd had turned him face. Cause you know, they liked his raps and everything else. Yeah. And it got me thinking, obviously 
this was he's the US champion here, so it's we haven't quite got to him, you know, being a main eventer yet, but we're getting there, we're getting close. And I was watching this, and I was thinking, why did Cena stop doing the Fugonomics gimmick? Could he have not been the babyface with the edge still, like doing the, the raps? Like it seemed like when he became world champion and a true main eventer, he just dropped all that and kind of just became like, I don't know, Mr. America or whatever. I, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. why. Like, I wonder, that's never really been discussed. Like, why did John Cena stop doing the rap gimmick or the, the Fugonomics gimmick? Because he could have kept doing it. It just seemed like he had something and they just kind of stripped that away. And I assume there's a reason. Maybe they just felt like he needed to move on from that. But I would have, you know, for me, I, I would have kept him doing it. His outfit largely stayed the same as well. So visually he kind of stayed the same, but yeah, he, I, I, yeah, that's a good point. Like what, why, why can't he have both? Why can't mm -hmm. he be the support the troops America guy yeah. and the rapper? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Have some edge. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, watching this as well. It's clear that WWE probably had real high hopes for Rene Dupree. And yeah. it's crazy to think that Rene is 20 years old here. Just what? 20. No way. He was like Damn, the youngest guy like signed to WWE ever. He was like 19 wow. or something. Or he's 19 Man, he was like. tag team champion. He'd been, his father was a wrestler. So Rene had been wrestling since he was super young and just got big and jacked. And, you know, it's, it's a shame he didn't work out Rene. I, I think there was, you know, issues. Um, and obviously being so young, like, dude, if I, I can't imagine being 20 years old and, wrestling john cena pay-per-views like my god you know what i mean what a lot you know i probably would have been fired in a week so yeah unbelievable but um but yeah renee seemed to have all the tools he had the look he had the physique he was a, a good worker he good character but uh um you know unfortunately just never seemed to work out for renee and i spent quite a bit of time with renee um you know different shows in europe and everything else and i always thought he was a really great guy and you know, just, uh, it's a shame that he didn't get like a, a bigger run mm. in the WWE because I'm sure they looked at him and thought, wow, this is potential future World Heavyweight Champion material. But obviously it didn't work out like that. Do you remember the D's nuts meme? Uh, I don't even know really what it is. I think I had someone try to explain it to me once and I still didn't really get it, but uh, I've, I've seen it and, and heard it a bunch of times. Yes. Okay. Well, it came into prominence in 2015. You can see that if you're on Patreon here by the Google Trends. There you go. November 2015, that's <laughs> when it gained prominence. Why am I showing you this? Okay. Marty, when was this pay-per-view, Judgment Day? I think you said May 16th, 2004. Yeah. For the listeners, can you read what this crowd sign says in May 2004? It says, choke on D's nuts, Rene Dupree, F you. Yes. Decade before the meme gained prominence. Isn't that interesting? I thought so. And I know what you're thinking. What about the Dr. Dre, you know, off the album, right? Here you mm. go. Spelt differently. Track six, D's nuts. <laughs> what does D's this... nuts mean? So you're saying they're above, uh, uh, way above the trend. Before the Yeah, trend. I'm saying... This this guy in the crowd used the word the phrase "D's nuts" in the same like spelling as the meme from 2015 back in 2004. 
Oh, I thought it was. I think like I feel like it was something in the early two thousands, and then it got like a resurgence in two thousand fifteen. Well, no, it's from the Doctor Dre album from like ninety two. Okay, gotcha. But this is the spelling of that. That's now, uh, I I think you're no. No, it's just got one is, extra letter. Why do you why do you hate it when I find time travelers? Like the first <laughs> selfie. I think you're what just, is it you're that you have against time travelers? Yeah, if, I am. I've got a feeling that if you were a pro wrestler, or maybe I train you finally to become a pro wrestler, you you'd want your gimmick to be time traveler. Oh, that. <laughs> that's an East Swat. That's amazing. That's so good. Has there it, ever been one? No. And I wonder, like, it would either have to be in, like, a wacky company, like Lucha Underground or something, but could you do it in a non-wacky company? Like, could it be maybe a a guy that thinks he's a time traveler? Because obviously you can't just be like, it couldn't be on WWE, like, this guy is a time traveler. That would not, you know, work. But yeah, maybe someone that thinks they're a time traveler could be kind of funny. It'd have to be a comedy gimmick, though, I assume. Yeah, we need to let's let's lab this. Yeah, let's work on that. Let's work on that. I think there's something there. It can't be. Yeah, it can't fail worse than Mordecai. <laughs> well, dude, actually, it'd be kind of cool when, like, you know, the time traveler comes in and he goes to the world champion. He's like, "Oh, you're gonna lose them. You know, the belt of the pay per view. Like, we have to do something. Like, I've come back here, and yeah, it could be kind of fun, huh? <laughs> yeah. Or they're always like one step ahead of their opponent." Well, yeah, that too. Yeah. How would they ever lose? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, incidentally, this is the part of the night where I noticed one of the main cameras to pick up the matches had a dead pixel in it. And then I, from that point, I couldn't unsee it. There's a white dot every time they cut to that camera. Next, we have a package for Kenzo Suzuki, who I actually have no idea who that was and have never seen them again, only in this package. Do you know who they are? Kenzo Suzuki? Yeah. Yeah, he they actually got him from New Japan, I want to say. Um, very large gentleman from Japan. And typically the wrestlers from Japan weren't like really big. So they saw Kenzo Suzuki, uh, even though he was like really quite green and there was like much better wrestlers in Japan because he was big, they were like, oh, excited. So they brought him in. Funny enough, he ended up be- being a tag team with Rene Dupree. Um, he had a run there. You know, I mentioned earlier about how in the mid 2000s WWE would randomly bring in big guys that never really amounted to anything kenzo suzuki you could argue is kind of kind of one of them but yeah he uh, i think he was from new japan originally cool it's it's funny how there's the japanese flag and it's like faded out over the top of him speaking uh and he's called kenzo suzuki and the the captions of peacock says man speaks in foreign language while the japanese flag of a guy called kenzo suzuki speaks. it's like what is this mysterious foreign <laughs> language marty your guess is as good as mine that's but funny. next we have the undertaker versus booker t match speaking of disappointing matches considering the power involved the stars involved yeah undertaker versus booker t i wasn't fan of this at all Mr. Really? Undertaker, yeah, Miss, I'll tell you why, but Mr. Undertaker defeats Booker T in just under 12 minutes, 11 minutes, 28, despite Booker T's pouch of power. <laughs> Powder, do you mean? Well, it turned, yeah, okay, so he goes and visits a voodoo priestess called Mama Sangri or something, who tells him to, she knows the recipe for this thing, this hex or this curse or something, this powerful item that can defeat the undertaker 
And she says one of the steps that he needs to take in order, you know, to, to perform this ritual thing or whatever is to get the the soil from on top of a grave. Okay. So, and we see that happen in a backstage thing. So it's like, okay. And we're just like led to assume that that's like one step of these things that he has to do to, you know, to make this, this ritual happen. Turns out, no, that bag, that pouch of power was literally just full of dirt from a grave. And he throws <laughs> it in the undertaker's eyes, like pocket sand, like Dale Gribble, which blinds the undertaker for two seconds. Booker T yeah, didn't capitalize work. on it at all. <laughs> no, he did not at all. You know, it's, it was- it's funny. You said you didn't really enjoy this match. I was actually pleasantly surprised. I, I was not really a big fan of the undertaker during this period. I just, in the ring, I just wasn't, this wasn't my thing. Yeah. And um, I told you earlier, like back then I wasn't the biggest fan of Booker T watching this back. I actually really enjoyed it. This is to me was one of the, the, the better matches. Um, if not the best match so far on the card, I thought I, I really got into it because the crowd got into it. Booker T is a hell of an athlete in the ring. You kind of oh. forget that as well, like how agile he was and everything else. And when you watch Undertaker work, like I'm not the biggest undertaker fan i was as a kid the, the rich yeah. undertaker but like you see him working like oh yeah it, it makes sort of mordecai look even worse because with undertaker you see that explosiveness and that power like even if it's like simple like a sidewalk slam or a leg drop he just makes it look so impressive and just impactful but uh so i was thinking that watching the match as well but no overall i thought it was a, a an enjoyable match and again this match you would have thought oh this would be for the world title you wouldn't think bradshaw would be in a world championship match but uh no no overall i undertaker he's he's trying to grow his hair out i guess because american badass had short hair you know he wants to get long hair again so his hair is at that awkward mid-level and it just doesn't look good and that's the problem with committing to growing your hair out i've been there you just got to go for like at least a full year if not 18 months of just awkward phase and if you're a wrestler you know, in real life, well, just wear a hat. But when you wrestle, what can you do? Do you what know what I mean? Yeah. So no, exactly. it kind of doesn't yeah. look great with the mid-level hair. <laughs> you mentioned Booker T's agility. I actually put that in my notes. Surely Booker T's power to defeat The Undertaker would just be his own agility. But no, he he resorts to this pouch, which they just kept cutting back to. With, like constantly, he had it in the corner of the ring and they kept like zooming in on it. And it reminded me of like, it's the most wasted prop that they kept cutting back to since that mirror with Victoria and Stratus. <laughs> just like, and but then kept cutting back to it, and Booker T kept rubbing himself on it. Just it hurt. It hurt the flow of the match. I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd yeah. agree with that. JBL brags about his success, and he gives Eddie Guerrero's mom a heart attack. Now, I actually think this was really good of her to give her life legitimately for a wrestling angle. That is the Guerrero's commitment to the business, right? <laughs> well, you're joking, but there's conflicting stories here. Uh, Bruce Pritchard suggests that she actually kind of had like, a, for, for real, had like a mild heart attack during this. Oh my, oh no, I didn't know. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> like, I don't I know I was the kidding. full story, but like, I guess the idea was that he was going to do something with her. Maybe either they'd already planned for her to have a heart attack, but then she actually kind of had one. It was oh, man. very bizarre. And like Bruce Pritchard tells the story and like how Eddie was like mad as hell at Bruce Pritchard. And he thought it was going to kill him because he was so protective of his mother. Yeah. And, you know, and he thought it was Bruce's idea. And uh, I think 
it, maybe it wasn't a heart attack, but she, you know, became like very short of breath and maybe it was something like that. And it just wasn't oh, a okay. good, good situation either way. No, so, no. Oh, yeah. Sorry, no, I had no idea, man. I was just trying to be funny for my play-by-play. Whoops. <laughs> it's it's just like they're trying to portray JBL to be just like the worst guy on the planet and yes. succeeding. All right. So JBL versus Eddie next. And Eddie loses via disqualification and then dies straight after from blood loss dude so he man eddie, eddie retained this is for the world the smackdown world title eddie the wwe the, championship i think it was called the what sorry wasn't that the wwe championship and raw had the heavyweight championship i think that's yeah. right yeah yeah i yeah. think that sounds right uh so eddie you know retains the belt despite losing the match via disqualification DQ. yeah this is you know Obviously, the match and the the moment that people remember from this show. Uh, just a few things before we get into that. Um, it, I I knew this at the time, but this was a good reminder. Just how quickly they transitioned Bradshaw from like fl- floundering mid card or floundering mid card tag team to main eventer. Like he legit like was in was a babyface in the APA turned heel and attacked Eddie Guerrero. And it's like, you're getting a championship match and became JBL. Just like that click of the fingers. It was pretty remarkable. And it makes me wonder how did they, you know, you would have thought, oh, we want to try him out as a heel first and see how that goes and have him in the mid card. And then if he started to get, you know, really good response and good heat, like, oh, we should have him challenged for the world championship. He's got loads of heat, but they literally were just like, nope, we, just from being APA Bradshaw, we trust him. He's going to be heel and he's wrestling Eddie for the title at the next pay-per-view. Pretty remarkable. Clearly this is still the trend. You know, they're still kind of transitioning him from Bradshaw to JBL because this whole match, the commentary team referred to JBL as Bradshaw. Um, and I just remember at the time as a kid, well, I would have been like, what would I have been? You know, whatever I was. I, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess it was. I was like, I hated the fact that Bradshaw was wrestling for the world heavyweight championship. I mean, mm. you could imagine my response where he ended up, you know, not on this show, but later on winning it. I was like, what Bradshaw, the world champ. Um, but damn, you know, JBL, you watch back. He was pretty awesome. Do you know, an awesome hill. The other thing of this is just the Eddie Guerrero carries himself so well but I feel like Eddie's like the same height as me, maybe even a bit shorter and like JBL just like towers over towers. him. It's such yeah. a, such oh, yeah. a big, like JBL looks like a giant next to him, which I never really noticed when I was younger watching this, but now I, I do. I'm like, Whoa, what a big difference. Um, dude. So I always thought that this blood from Eddie was like hard way. I thought like the, the chair, um, like JBL like hit Eddie, or, yeah. Yeah, hit him in the, the wrong place or whatever, or the wrong part of the chair. Um, but apparently not. Apparently Eddie just like botched a blade job and he like hit mm-hmm. an artery, right? Mm-hmm. And dude, like this is probably like the worst blade job I've ever seen. It's, and I just I just think it oh. would have been the case of like like I can imagine just being in the match, you bladed, right? And you start to get loads of color, and at first you're like, hell yeah, because like the big fear of blading is that you're going to get like nothing come out. Right. Or you just get, tired, oh, like, right. Yeah. There, right. So you probably blade. It was like, Oh hell yeah. I got really good color. And he probably goes from that to like, yeah, I've got such good color. Uh, uh, 
oh, oh, man, oh, oh, like, have I overdone it? Oh, no. And just starts going to panic. And I assume he was panicking like crazy because there is one point Bradshaw, JBL gets Eddie in a sleeper and Eddie's whole entire face is completely red. There's not, you can't see any skin on it. And there is just blood all over the ring, all over JBL, on the referee, it's I actually got really uncomfortable. It started to look more like a slasher movie than a wrestling match. Like really, oh, really dude. bad. And it's actually it, uncomfortable. It pulses to watch. with his heartbeat. Like you can see it squirt out to his heartbeat. Yes. yes. And it's disgusting. No, you could no, you seriously could. Like, oh man, it was it was gross. I would be if I was JBL, I would be like so worried about yes. like not carrying on because like you have to but like so oh i should mention this was a 23 minute match and i get bo- as you know if there's more than if there's no more than two people in a match and it goes over 20 minutes i'm bored i wasn't in this instance but a lot of that was what you call an afterbirth right like after the match eddie still carries on going and i'm like i'd be thinking can we get him in the back like can we wrap this up well before he just faints dude so like after he's been that much, I was thinking, oh my, oh my Lord, guys, like take it home, take it home. And it yes. Kept, and they were, they just didn't. And they kept going. And like, you're getting crazy sympathy for like Eddie. And even like he misses, he goes up for the frog splash. You're like, oh, please be the frog splash. He misses. And now when I see people miss a splash from the top rope, we're just like, oh yeah, spot of the match. But watching this, they actually got me trapped in. I was like, oh my God. Like I thought like, oh man, like he's going to be so hurt from missing the frog splash. Like, I was getting really like, the blood, as uncomfortable as, as it was, it 100% completely made this match and, you know, a star-making performance for JBL. And you can even argue, you know, with Eddie as well. But it, it de- like, especially these days where we don't really see blood too often, that no, we don't see it in WWE, AEW do it quite a bit, but nothing like this. Like, it, dude, apparently when Eddie got to the back, he went into shock and he, like, passed out, apparently. Because obviously he'd cut like an artery, so and that's not surprising. What is surprising is just how long he went with so much blood coming out of his head. Yeah. I'd, it was about 10, 12 minutes of the match. There was a point in the match where JBL like holds Eddie's head to the camera and makes him zoom in, and is like laughing and mocking him for being so size open, which was very good, like for character work. But I couldn't imagine being able to do that. Where in the back of my head, I'm thinking, "Oh my god, I hope he's okay." You know, like being able to play the character while simultaneously having my own feelings. Like they must have communicated. He must have asked if he was okay. And he's like, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like, I'm not really that queasy with blood, but this made me borderline like queasy. I was like, Jesus, like just, you know, way too much, way, way too much. But it made the match. And I will say this, like it had me invested and Mm. like, I don't think the match was hurt from the from the disqualification finish. I know in this day and age, like if a main event of a WWE pay per view was ended in disqualification, all the fans would be like, "This is rubbish," and it'd be uproar. But you know, this was very old school, and it was like an old school yeah. bloodbath from the seventies or the eighties, even. And that's how they would end those bloodbaths. In because, like, the end of this, I know, I know, obviously, they have a rematch at the great american bash and at the end of this i was like oh i actually want to go watch the great american bash match now like it had me invested so i can imagine being a fan at the time people saw this and were like oh i want to see the rematch do you know what i mean like you you would want to from watching this match and i can't remember how that 
rematch was, but I would be very surprised if it surpassed this. And it's like, who knew JBL had this in him? Like when the acolytes or the yeah, APA dude. used to come out for matches, I used to kind of be like, ugh, just like, ugh, APA. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, because to me, to most people, it was like the Dudleys, the Hardys, Edge and Christian. They're the tag teams you want to see. APA, you like to see them do the backstage segment, but in the yeah. ring, not interested. And it's like, who knew that Bradshaw had this type of match and, you know, fierceness inside of him? They just got it out of him and just, yeah, completely star-making performance for JBL. For sure. And then you, when Mick Foley gets thrown off the Hell in a Cell and whatever match that was, and the cell goes up and The Undertaker is on it, you can see Undertaker's face like he shits himself. Like He's like, you know, and you would. But then you're like, oh, hang on a minute. You're supposed to be the dead man. You're worried about heights. JBL being to make, being able to maintain his character throughout everything that was going on was just a masterclass. It was so well done. And another bit of props to, well, not JBL, but the character. You know when gimmicks change, they often just completely change and they don't even mention the old them. They changed JBL from Bradshaw from the APA in such an organic way. He actually references, it was like, I felt like I was holding myself back, just drinking beers with my buddy and playing cards in the back. It's like, he's direct, like, it's one of the only kind of gimmick changes where I, they directly reference their old gimmick as a reason for moving into the new gimmick in such a good, like, in a very organic and believable way. So, yeah, JBL as a hill is super good. Yeah, he's definitely one of the best heels in the past, like, couple of decades for sure and uh like i said at the time i couldn't get with it just because he'd been presented as a mid-card guy for so long um but you know this change it definitely worked um a few other notes i have eddie guerrero without the mullet i get why he got rid of the mm. mullet because it's more of a hill thing but i almost feel like he loses some of his charm without the mullet or, or some form of mullet this short hair I, I, I didn't really like it. And I also no, it, felt like Eddie was maybe at this point, maybe like a little too bulky, a little too big. I felt like, and the short hair accentuates like his, like the weight on his face, which is, yes. which is fine. But I do feel like the mullet like shaped his face very well. Is Yeah. Yeah. Like or at least day. the, you know, the, the fringe or whatever else. Mm. I feel like me, the, the mullet is money, but I guess I, I understand like in 2004, you probably, wouldn't want a mullet so i get that uh part um another funny thing at the end when they're trying to when the agents come out to break up the the fight because after the match eddie he still continues to uh attack bradshaw you see arn anderson dean malenko and fit finley and i always thought it's funny like three wrestling legends and they're just like nameless officials do you know what i mean <laughs> like like they're just <laughs> it's not like oh a legend's just come out it's not like big pop it's just like Oh, they're just their names. These backstage texts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're like free wrestling legends. It's kind of funny how <laughs> WD did that for years. And, yeah. you know, I think they probably, maybe now they name them, but they just come out and they don't even, you know, mention it or anything. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the DQ was absolutely fine, like you were saying, because before the pay-per-view, he, he they they built up that led Eddie's just like on an emotional rampage. Yes, yes. So it was fine. And yeah, the, the, the happy accident of, the blood like kind of helped that he's just gone wild. Like he's, he's just done. So it, yeah, it's, it was fine. Like it really didn't hurt it at all. I actually enjoyed the DQ finish. Honestly. I did. You know what I was thinking though? Do you not think it would have been a cooler finish if like, I guess this is in like, you know, retrospect. Um, and maybe they could have called this on the fly, 
but wouldn't there have been a better finish that they, they had to, it was like a referee stoppage because of the loss of blood would have been kind of cool. And I don't know. I was thinking about that. I was like, would a championship change hands on that? Cause obviously it doesn't change hands on like count out or disqualification, but if it's like referee stoppage, how does that work? I don't, I never really thought about that before. That would be a TKO in boxing, right? Like a technical knockout. I wonder I how, what is like knockout rules of wrestling? Yeah. See, which they they're always, trying to bring back now, but it's which they always, but. Well, they always say, I guess they say that in wrestling, like, you know, or knockout. Do they still even say that? Because no yes. matches ever end in a knockout, ever, <laughs> ever. But referee stoppage, I think that would have been, if I was there and I was on the headset, I would have been saying, dude, there's so much blood. Like, I'd actually want the match to stop because of the blood. Like, that's the real reason why you stop the match. You know what I mean? And just do that. Like, yeah. referee's like, because they would do that. If there was that much blood in a real fight, like a UFC fight, 100% stop the match. Do you know what I mean? 100%. They would have stopped it way before it got that much. So I think that would have been a really cool way to like get over the match, get over JBL as a killer, get over Eddie as having a big heart. And it, Eddie could have been like, I still want to fight. I still want to go. And they're like, no, it's too much blood loss. Like, you know, so he doesn't lose any face from it. It's just got too much blood. I think that would have been a cool way of doing it, but the yeah. way they did it as well, it works. So I'm not going to, you know, go on about it too much. <laughs> the comment we got where nobody liked Eddie before he died. Dude. Need to watch that match, dude. Dude. <laughs> watch so, the crowd. So funny. Like one of the reels that I put up on um, Instagram and TikTok and YouTube was just um, about, was me talking about how Eddie, you know, he's probably one of the greatest, you know, in ring bell to bell wrestlers of all time i i think i say in the video like is there anyone better at like moving in the ring selling bumping offense flying around the ring than eddie guerrero and of course that just opens it up to everyone giving their opinions no it's Shawn michaels no it's aj styles you know quite a lot of people not a lot but a handful actually said rob van Dam, which kind of took me by surprise as like greatest of all time in ring and i think rvd is you know, good that's great spe yeah spectacular and i think you could make an argument like most unique wrestler of all time yeah you can see that but like yeah. festival time hmm. but there was there was quite a lot like that um but yeah there was one person that said i feel like everyone's entitled to the opinion but i do really feel like this gentleman was misinformed because he said no one cared about eddie guerrero until after he died and i was thinking that's you know not the case at all and he was saying oh Eddie Guerrero was mid card there and he's mid blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, well, that's not really, you know, and he said, oh, he, he was not a big star until the rock and stone cold left. And I was like, these are all kind of, you know, invalid points. Whether um, he was a star or not, doesn't, isn't relevant to, <laughs> to the point whether he was the greatest bell to bell. Like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. People cared about Eddie when he was alive. Absolutely. Dude, watch when he wins the world title from Brock Lesnar. It's like the big, one of the mm -hmm. biggest pops ever. Mm -hmm. Come on. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, well, I encourage them to watch these older pay-per-views where and just watch the crowd. Just watch them. Yes. And, just, yes. and formulate your opinion. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So I'm going to say it right now because we always, you know, we watch the shows. We say which was our favorite match, the least favorite match. Yeah. As we're talking about this, I think it's obvious, but my favorite match by far, this Eddie Guerrero and JBL match. It was fantastic. Yep. Easy peasy. Easy, easy. Even with Dawn Marie's wardrobe malfunction, that's not <laughs> enough for me. It's got to be um, Eddie's blading malfunction. 
and yeah that match was just phenomenal like it's it was emotional it was physical it was old school like you said masterclass performance from jbl and to a lesser extent but still super important eddie just all the pieces worked absolutely and worst match of the show uh unfortunately gonna have to give it to the to the ladies tori and dawn just just wasn't interested i mean you could say mordecai and scotty but you know at least that was short and it was like there was still intriguement like oh what is this mordecai like you're seeing a wrestler for the first time that's you know can can be exciting uh so i'd say tori and dawn i I wasn't into the tag match with gun and harkoni either but you know they're all good workers at least so yeah worst match tori wilson versus dawn marie so i was thinking of saying chavo versus jacqueline oh actually yeah well the reason why i'm not is because how it did exactly what it was too long actually but like come on what were you expecting from it it was kind of what it said it was going to be on the tin so Mm. i think i'm going to give it despite the wardrobe malfunction which i enjoyed the door marine tory one yeah yeah it wasn't the greatest went on too long as well for what it was overall as a show here's the thing i felt like there was quite a handful of stinkers there was a handful of matches that i was like why are these on pay-per-view i -hmm. think this time they hadn't really worked out yet how to do like the single brand only pay-per-views because again there there seemed to be like a lot of filler on this show the main event i thought what you said is amazing and i actually forgot how good it was and actually i definitely consider this match a classic and i don't know before this if i really did think of it as a classic i just Mm. thought of it as the match where eddie bled a bunch um but now looking back, I'm like, oh, that was a classic match. That was awesome. Um, so if I had to give the show a rating overall, obviously the main event picks it up. But other than that, there isn't really that much on it. I still did enjoy watching it. But again, I think that's the nostalgia in me. Just I just enjoy watching old wrestling. So if I had to be fair, I'm going to give this show a two-star rating. Slightly worse than average. That's absolutely fair. And this was the que- this was the reason why we do Judgment Day on this episode. It's let's go back and revisit it and see what we think. I really don't think it is as bad as people were making it out or my friends were making it out. They, they were acting like it was a one star one. And like, yeah, I've got nostalgia. Watching it back, I, it's not like the four star that I thought it was now that the final match was. But with all of that, I'm going to give it 2.5, which is average. I think it was, I don't see anything wrong with this pay-per-view. It had a, it did have lows and did have drags, but the final match really, really was a classic. If you watch it on Peacock, you're going to miss a lot of the lead up to it because they cut it out. There are multiple uh, JBL sections that they cut out, which is unfortunate. So um, I'll factor that in. That's all missing, which does hurt the final uh, because you're not going to find it anywhere else unless you buy it on ebay i guess on dvd yeah i think 2.5 is fair or two for you is fair 2.5 for me it's not a one star pay-per-view like people were making out it, it just isn't and it's not the four or five star pay-per-view that my brain <laughs> child thought it was i think it really is somewhere in the middle but that final match i'm really glad that you went back and found revisited this pay-per-view and found something that you can enjoy out of it more than when you last watched it which was the the classic final match that's awesome to hear yeah two 2.5 i think is completely fair would I recommend it to like a casual wrestling viewer to like go back and search out? Honestly, probably not. 
I, right. I wouldn't <laughs> say waste your time watching. I really wouldn't. Maybe no. find the final match on YouTube or something. I wouldn't recommend the pay-per-view. No. Waste your time. No. But there's better ones. It, it, it's a better ones. It's a one match show for sure. Basically. One match show. Yeah. One match show. Cool. Well, there Sam. We well, that was our review of Judgment Day 2004. If you enjoyed this podcast, then maybe you'd like to give us a review. So give us a five-star review on the old Apple podcast. And if you do a nice one, we'll read it out on the show and you'll get a shout out. Also, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, you don't stop. And of course, YouTube uh, at The Villain Pod. We're doing some amazing numbers on the social media right now. Mm, uh, yeah. One of our Santino reels over the free platforms has got like, I want to say it's either like two and a half close to 3 million views or something across just for one video um, across the free platforms, which is pretty insane. So our YouTube channel is building up, you know, constantly uh, Instagram is and our TikTok is. So I truly believe we put out the best sort of wrestling social media content out there. You know, Sam and I are very real. We're very honest. We do this podcast. We're not comedians, so we're not trying to be funny. And we're also not pretending to be funny. So I, if, I'm not doing fake laughing after everything Sam says. We're also not doing fake shock on this or whatever. Mm. I'm just giving my insight as an experienced professional wrestler. Sam is giving his insight as a long-term fan that's kind of had one foot in and is trying to put the foot back in now. And, you know, that's what we offer. So, um, yeah, I don't know why I just went on a little tangent then, but I'd appreciate it if you mm -hmm. followed us on the social media as well. All right. And I would love to hear your memories of Judgment Day 2004. Did your brain hype this up for 20 years like mine did? Or did you always think it was a dud? Or do you still stick by it? That was pretty good. I, I'm curious. This is one that stuck by me through a lot of years, and I just want to hear other people's memories and feelings about it. But yeah, until then, though, of course, have a good week. Till next week. <laughs> <laughs>